Come on, are you happy today? Are you excited this morning? Are you awake, better yet? What an amazing time of worship. Uh, I love that last song. I was going to ask Stephen to sing it this week for altar call. I didn't even know they were singing it. Praise God, they're a step ahead of me. Amen. I'm joyful to be here today, but I know that by the end of this sermon, I might offend some people. And, uh, but the gospel of Jesus Christ is offensive sometimes. So, Vinny, if you can give me a lot less, praise God. A lot less. Amen. We're in our anniversary series, and it's nothing like anniversary series season for me because it's a time for us to look back and celebrate on all that God has done, but yet it's time to focus in on what we as a church should be doing in order to keep the work of God flowing. Amen. Everything you see around you does not happen by accident, church. It is planning that goes behind everything. It is purposefulness that happens behind every single detail. And these past weeks, we've talked about different characteristics of our church that we're praying and trying to exemplify daily. And you, as members of our church, should be exemplifying these things even in your personal lives. The first one is, is we're pledging to be a church of big, bold faith. To step out in faith constantly. To push the envelope to do what others aren't willing to do, and to see God move because of it. And the whole church said, praise God. Week two, we talked about being bringers, being a church that brings people to the house of God, being a church that encourages others to come to meet Christ the way in which we have come to meet Christ. We'll be a church of bringers. Last week, we talked about being epic servants, being servants of the Lord, doing the work and the will of God from the smallest to the greatest of details, that we would work the house of God, that we would work the kingdom of God, and we would work the harvest field to be able to see God move through us. But this week, I want to talk about something that's near and dear to my heart. I want to talk to you about being a church that is rooted and grounded in love. I want to talk about the love-filled church and how God moves through a love-filled church. And for me as a father, it's not hard to think about love. It's, it's not hard to think about how much I might love my children, even though sometimes they do stuff that makes me want to strangle them. Amen. You know, just the other day, it was a Friday, you know, my day off. And I took my wife and my two children. And for those of you who don't know, I have a one-year-old. She's about to be two. Her name is Aria Grace. And she's got a lot of character. And then I have an angel whose name is uh, uh, Myla Faith. And Myla's a dream baby. She just sits there and smiles at you. She rarely ever cries. She doesn't bother. You could take her out anywhere. And most folks don't even know she's there. I got a big double stroller. When I'm at the mall, people only see Aria. And then they walk around the corner. Oh, you got another baby? Yeah, she's just an angel. She just doesn't even say nothing. She just looks and sees and smiles. She's a smile machine. I said, I don't mind taking Myla out. But Arya is in this phase of life where she's like really independent and she's really like headstrong. I don't know where she gets that from. (laughs) She's really just like, you know, she wants to just do everything herself. I got offended when she turned about, you know, maybe 11 months and she didn't want me to feed her no more. Eh. That baby talk for no no way, dad. No way. Eh. 
And I would try and feed her. And she went for a whole day one time without eating. I'm like, what's wrong with her? My wife's like, honey, she wants to feed herself. And she, she got it. After a couple of months, she got the hang of it. She's a pro. But in restaurants, she doesn't really act well. And on this particular day, it didn't turn out too good for me because I went to a buffet. And I didn't think about this because a buffet, the problem with a buffet, if you have little kids, is you got to go get the food. And so I'm, first time I went and got my food, and, and then my wife is waiting with the babies. And so I come back, and Aria's in her high chair, and my wife goes to get her food, and Aria doesn't want to sit in the high chair. I had given her some hibachi rice. I had given her some food, and she was eating it, but the floor was eating more of it. And, and then it was one of those restaurants where the waiters stand really close to your table. And so he's like right there and he's watching my little daughter throw everything on the floor. I'm just like, oh God, it's terrible. She, I'm eating my food, minding my business. And all of a sudden I see my daughter standing up in the high chair. I'm like, that's not why it's called the high chair. You're supposed to sit in it still. And she's like, no, no, no. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm sitting here having an all-out argument with this 19-month-old baby. And she's like, no. Papa, no. I'm like, fine, whatever. So I take her, and I put her in the booth, and I sit her on the inside of the booth so she can't escape. So I thought. And Aria is like, she, she wants to sit like a big girl, so she sits on her butt, but she goes to the edge of the seat. And she went too far. <laughs> Like oftentimes some of us might go too far in life. And she began to fall off the seat and go under the table. But I guess she felt like I'm not going down by myself. I'm going to take all of daddy's little man with me. And she reaches up to grab the table and grabs my plate instead. And I look over and she's standing up. And I kid you not, not one noodle fell on the floor. Because it was all in her hair. My daughter had a plate. She had a head full of lo mein. I'm sitting there like, what? No, 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 no. I don't know if I was more upset about the hair or the lo mein. And I'm just like, at this moment, maybe somebody else's kid, you might want to just, ah. But your own kid, in that moment, no matter how dirty she was, it did not change how much I loved her. Just the other day, my wife sent me a picture of my daughter, the same one, the one who's going through a phase. And the picture was captioned, I took, I, I, was, uh, I, I turned my back for a minute. And the pictures of my daughter sitting in her high chair at home with a head full of rice. Her head was hungry. Rice all over her shoulders, rice everywhere. And yet, it didn't change how much I love her. There was one time, if any parent knows, when your, your, your kids are teething, it kind of affects some other stuff in their body. And I don't know how teething gives someone, you know, the runs. I just don't know how that works. I'm not a doctor. But it happened to my daughter. And one day, she's running around the house, and she had, she had you know, the number two, let's just say, dripping down her legs. On the rug. I'm just like, what is going on? Like, this is... I didn't give her a chocolate chip cookie. What's that? I'm like, we don't have brownies. What is this? We don't get snacks in this house. What is this? I'm, oh, God. I'm like, honey, where's the baby? Where's the baby? There's poop everywhere. But guess what? It did not change. It doesn't matter how dirty she got. I didn't love her any less. 
And it's amazing the things you can learn from the heart of God in dealing with your own children. Because it doesn't matter how dirty you were or how dirty you got, God still loved. And our scripture for today is John 3.16, probably the most famous verse in all of scripture. And it says this, it's from the English Standard Version. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that any who believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. I learned it from the King James Version when I was a kid. And it said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that any who believeth in him, whosoever believeth in him, would not perish, but they would have everlasting life. And in this verse, we see the true character and heart of God, that God's love is unconditional, that God's character is love, and that God's love is eternal. And when it talks, we talk about church and, and Christianity, it, it seems as if we're in a generation that thinks that love is optional. We think that love has to be earned. We think that love has to be given only to the worthy. But the Bible is clear that God, who is in essence love itself, for 1 John tells us that God is love, that he just loved without standards, without any type of, uh, of qualification. There was no reason as to why God would love. There was nothing good about us that loved us, that rather was worth loving. But yet God made a decision to love us irregardless of how filthy we were, how dirty we were. He chose to love us irregardless of all the mistakes we would make and all the problems you would have in your life. God chose to love you. And it seems seems like the church is good with this concept when you get God, but when it comes to God getting others, you don't want God to love them. You see, some of us take this, this God thing and we act like, like, you know, nobody else can have the Jesus we got. And I want to share with you three aspects of love, just based on John 3, 16. Three aspects of love that we should, as a church, have that we should, as a church, strive for, that we should, as a church, say we want to be a church of love. Ever since our church was on 1312 State Street, with my father as the pastor, people would come in off the streets, and we would ask them, why would you come in? And they would say, I felt the love of God calling me through these doors. One of the greatest compliments anybody can give a church is when I walked in, I felt loved. When I walked in, I felt accepted because if you can say that, then you know that God is in the house because God is loving and God is accepting. A church of love. Come on, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your grace. But today we thank you for your love. Father, we don't deserve your love. But yet, nonetheless, you have lavished it on us. You've poured it out. Lord, today I pray that you would speak to every heart. That you would convict those of necessary. That you would open the eyes of the blinded who think maybe they're not loved. And that you, Lord, would show us what it means 
to love like Christ loves and to love like you have loved us. In Jesus' name we pray. And the church says, the story of God and man, church, is, is one big, long love story. If you look all throughout Scripture, weaved in and out of it, is God's great love for mankind that prompts God to send a Savior. John 3.16 is what you would call the gospel of Jesus Christ in a nutshell. That for God so loved the world that he gave his Son. That whosoever believes in him would not die, would not perish, not meaning a physical death, but a spiritual death. You would not have to live in damnation, and you would not have to live apart from Christ and apart from the Father for all eternity. This is an eternal, everlasting, strong love. For every person in this room shares one thing in common, and that is that without the love of God, we were far from God. Without the saving acts of Jesus on the cross, we were without hope. We were lost. And the first thing we see in John 3.16 is our first point today is that epic love loves the lost. For the greatest thing that God tells us in John 3.16 is that he loved us while we were lost. And if God loved us while we were lost, who are we then to not love those who are lost? If God in his infinite wisdom and God in his endless immeasurable love, if God loved me in the midst of my sin, in my turmoil, in the midst of my brokenness, in the middle of me doing all the wrong things before I knew him the way I do now. If God loved me then, then I have no reason to not love those who are in the condition I was once in. The first portion of John 3.16 in the Amplified Version of the Bible says this, For God so greatly loved and dearly prized the world. Every time I walk by someone who doesn't know Christ, I am walking by a prize of God. Every time I show a cold shoulder to the lost person, the one who doesn't know any better, or I give them attitude because my flesh is reacting to their flesh, and every time I show them an unchristlike attitude, I am acting against the prize of God. For God sees every lost person as a prize worth winning. And for God sees every lost person as someone worth dying for. And one of the greatest needs we have as human beings is the need for nurturing love. People have killed themselves over not being loved. People have gone into depression over rejection and not feeling loved. People have left their marriages because they didn't feel the love. People have redirected their entire lives down ungodly paths seeking love. The woman who turns to be a prostitute because she was trying to fill a void of a man who was supposed to be a father and she never felt loved by dad. The people who turn to to sex addictions because they're trying to replace the the love of a parent that they never had in their lives. And so they, they try to find love in all the wrong places as the saying goes. Who are we as a church to not love the lost? 
And some of us don't have enough room in our lives to love the lost. And some of us walk around all day and never see a lost person. And that might just be because we lost ourselves. There's nothing worse than losing your keys knowing they're in your house. And then, and then when you lose your keys and you know they're in that house, but you start saying dumb stuff like, maybe I left them in the car. Well, then how'd you get in your house? And then you're late to go somewhere, and then some, some, some very nice person who you're supposed to go meet, let's say, they say to you, well, where's the last time you had them? If I knew, they wouldn't be lost. When's the last time you remember? If I knew, they would not. What are you talking about? And some of us are in the house of God, keys to see other people freed from addictions, to see other people freed, and you're the key to open someone else's door, but you're lost in your own house because you're too busy. Your career's got you bound. Your life is too busy. And we don't care about the lost. We stop, we stop talking to others about Christ. We don't care about the lost because now, now it's like that mentality, well, I got my ticket. <laughs> You ever go on a vacation with a group of people? There's always that one person who is the last to get their ticket. They're last to pay their part of the hotel. You all, you know, that you done put in for. And you, I don't care if they don't pay. I got my ticket. Just, I don't, I, I got mine. The other day I went to see a movie. I'm not going to tell you it was a Dragon Ball Z movie because you're going to, you know, laugh at me. I went with my cousins and we had a guy's night out and, 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 and and I was with my cousin Daniel, and he had bought my ticket online, and then his brother was coming. We didn't know if some of them had tickets. So we said, look, they ain't got tickets. That's their fault. We got tickets. We going no matter what. We're going no matter what. I heard that front row. And, and the thing is, is we can't adapt to the mentality that others don't matter when Christ loves them in their lost state, the same way he loves you in your found state. But some of you are so found, this is going to sound dumb, some of you are so found that you get lost. Churchy people. And, and we, do, we, we do stuff, we separate ourselves so much from those who need Christ that we never, ever develop a love, a genuine love for lost people. Romans 5, 8 is one of my favorite scriptures, and it says, but God shows his love for us. Romans 5, 8. He shows his love for us that while we were yet still sinners. Doesn't that tell you that you have to love the still sinner person? That just bothers some people because sometimes we want to think of ourselves as better. I said this years ago, and I'll say it again, and I'll say it to the day I die. As a Christian, I have not the right to have an opinion about anyone except that which God has. As a pastor, my job is always to see potential and not problems. My job is always to look at someone, whether lost, whether saved, whether just gave their lives to Christ, whether, whether never, never said a sinner's prayer, never received Christ. doesn't matter who it is. My job is to see how much God loves them. We're called to save, save rather, the lost. 
We should be a church of love that people come in and they know that the love of God is real because they feel it through his people. That that love is genuine. And some of you are, 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 I know what you're thinking. You're saying, well, pastor, how can I love people? Some people are tuning me out because love is a simple topic, but yet you can't even get past liking people, let alone loving people. And the fact that if you can't love people in the love of Christ, you have to ask yourself, how connected to the cross are you? Because the cross by itself calls and it loves people. Well, how do I get past liking people? You have to get past self. Because self develops an opinion of people. And self develops ideas about people. And self judges people. And self holds people's past against them. And self says, I know why he's a beggar, because he ain't get his life together. That's his problem. When Jesus would have stopped his car, hopped out, helped the person, you're too busy, I can't. We don't love the lost in this generation. Churches would be full across the city if we love the lost. We love the idea of loving the lost. We don't love the lost. Because if we loved the lost, God would be saving hundreds through us. God forgive us for the days that we've walked around oblivious to the lost. God forgive us that we don't realize that even those are the ones that Christ has died for. In Luke 15, we read two parables, one of a lost coin, one of a lost sheep. Each one have one thing in common, that when something was lost, people went out to get it. When's the last time you went to your family to get the lost? Some people rather, they rather minister to strangers than family. Because family doesn't get it. No, 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 family gets it all too well. We are called to love the lost, to go after the lost, to see God move in their lives. And when each parable comes to an end, the lost thing is found, and then there's a celebration. Church, let me ask you, do you have the epic love that loves the lost? Do you have a love that says, I'm going to love the people who don't even know they need Christ? I'm going to love those who are far from Christ. I'm going to love those who don't submit to Christ. I'm going to love the people in my job who get on my nerves because they're not godly. If lost people bother you, you have an issue. Lost people should excite you because there are opportunities for God's mercy and grace to be displayed. Lost people are God's first pursuit. For God so loved the world, the world in its brokenness, in its sinfulness, in all of its problems, God loved the world. And this word love is the word agape, and it's the highest form of love. Agape is the highest form of brotherly love, godly love, and on top of that, it's sacrificial love. For God so loved the world that God gave. This agape love is sacrificial in nature. Point number two is, is, really, is really simple in that epic love knows that giving is living. 
It knows that giving is living. Sacrificial love knows that when we give of ourselves for the kingdom, when we give of our love to others, it is so that others may live and know Christ. That we sacrifice on behalf of the kingdom, on behalf of the cross. We, as Christians, all throughout Scripture in the Bible, are compared to being trees, bringing forth fruit, or a branch or a vine bringing forth fruit. A fruit tree or a grapevine are both living organisms that exist. They live just to give. They give their fruit. They grow and produce fruit that others might be nourished and live. Is there anything worth taking off of your tree? Is there anything on your tree called love that would give somebody else life? Or is there just bad attitude, more brokenness, lack of surrender, judgmental spirits? Trees of life we are called. All throughout the scripture, we're called to bring forth, and the church says, fruit. Do you understand that God's love for the world was so vast and it was so deep that God gave his son? He gave his son. He gave his absolute best. He gave his absolute best. He sacrificed his best for the worst of us. God sacrificed his best for the worst in you. And although my sin lifted Jesus to the cross, his love lifts me to the Father. Sacrificial love knows that giving is living. That when I give to others, I am showing life. In Luke chapter 10, verse 25, we read a very well-known parable and story of Jesus called the parable of the Good Samaritan. And it's a story of a man who was going on a long journey, and he was taken and beaten up by thieves and robbers, and he was left for dead. And Scripture would tell us that a number of people walked right by him, some of them being priests, some of them being Jews, some of them being Levites, all supposedly godly people, all supposedly people who knew God and were very well-known to God and well-versed in God's Word and God's way. And yet, a Samaritan, and you might not understand off the top of your head, but Jews hated Samaritans, and Jesus is building this picture that other people who aren't even God's people are quicker to help the lost than the churches, than the called people of Israel were. And the Samaritan would take this injured man and he would put him in an inn and he would give the keeper of the inn a large sum of money to take care of this man continuously until he was better. Sacrificial love is the love you have for God causing you to sacrifice for the sake of others. Sacrifice means coming out of comfort. Sacrifice means doing the things that no one else would do. Sacrifice is not love based on a feeling, but a determined act of the will, a joyful resolve to put the welfare of others before our own. That church is sacrificial love. Sacrificial love has absolutely nothing to do with an emotion. Love is not an emotion. It is a choice that we have to make for God so loved the world. 
that he gave. He gave sacrificially. This type of love does not often come normally to us. Oftentimes, it's easier to dislike someone. I wish you were honest today. Oftentimes, it's easier to be mean to people. Oftentimes, it's easier to brush people off. Oftentimes, it's easier to go past the hurting, the broken. It's always easier to not do something, but it's godly to do it. And some of us like to help others within our own, within our own desires and limitations. We want to help people on our terms and do God's work on our terms. We want to choose who to love and when to love. And God says, no, you have to love recklessly. Well, what if they're going to hurt me? Then get hurt, but do it for God. Well, what if they're going to take advantage of me? Then let God deal with them. You do what God would have done. Because how many times have we taken advantage of grace? How many times have we taken advantage of the cross? The son of the living God slain for our sins, but we took advantage of him. But yet you're worried about that poor man begging for five dollars. What are you going to do with my money? What have you done with the son? Love. Sacrificially. Love without reservation. Love with no limits. Love. Like God loves us. And this kind of love can only come from the source, for God is love. In Romans 5, 5, the apostle Paul writes this. He says, and hope maketh not ashamed. Hear me now. Because the love of God is shed, your Bible might say poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given Unto us. Every person who has the Holy Spirit and every Christian should have the Holy Spirit simply upon receiving Christ as your Savior. The Spirit of God comes in as a seal, as evidence of God in you. And Paul says that God's love is poured out in us. Well, how are we supposed to love others? By pouring the love out that has been poured in. Only that love can come from God. Sacrificial love. Because he loved me, I can love others. Because Christ in us and God in us is love, you should be able to love. And when you choose not to love, you purposefully choose to reject the heart of God. You reject the fruit of the Spirit. You reject it because the fruit of the Spirit, the first one it talks about, is love. In other words, if Jesus is the seed, he's planted into your heart, he will nurture, grow, and the first fruit you will see on the tree is love. But there's so many believers who don't act with love. We don't act with the heart of God. 1 John 3.16 says, By this we have known the love of God because he laid down his life. He sacrificed for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. That's not popular teaching in church these days to lay down your life for somebody else. 
to do great things for the kingdom by sacrificing your own desires and sacrificing your own wills. We've often said it in church that what we want to do is bring all of our plans before the Lord and ask God to bless our plan, never asking him what his plan is. But when you love God, you will love what he loves. You will love who he loves, and you will love how he loves. Epic love knows that living is giving, and giving is living. For if you were to open your heart to this world, you would be able to pour out the love of the Father. Have you ever met those people who you know they just really are full of God's love? I got some friends of mine and some pastors. I think they have that, I call it the other Jesus. Like when they walk, angels sing in the key of A, amen. And, and they carry this presence about them of God's immense love. Love. Do you have the love so deep in you, you're willing to sacrifice for others? Because for God so loved the world that he gave. God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes will not perish, but have everlasting life. Here's my last point, and it's kind of ironic. It's I have to love whosoever believes. What does that mean? You see, in, in the Scripture, the world is the lost person, but by the time you get to the bottom of the verse, whosoever believes now is the saved person. So God is calling me to love the lost, the world, and then God is calling me to love whosoever believes. I have to love the people that I call church family. It's going to get real quiet on this one. God calls me to love the church, the individual believers. Not just this church, but every church, every Christian, every leader, God calls us to love. He says that we should love them. John 13, 35, Jesus talking to his disciples says, By this, all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. In one of his final discourses to his disciples, Jesus is giving them closing instructions how to survive without him. And he says, the number one way the people of the world will know you are my disciples is by your love for one another. He did not say they will know you are my disciples based on what church you go to. They will know you are my disciples based on how much you read the Bible. They will know you are my disciples based on how much you pray. They will know you are my disciples based on how much doctrine you know, based on how much, on how much theology you know, based on how many worship songs you've seen, not, not based on how many times you go to church, not what ministries you serve, not if you ever take the pulpit, but if you love. If you love. They will know that's a follower of Jesus. That right there, he's loving. Look at him. 
Look at that person who's just loving. That's a follower of that. that what's this? Oh, Jesus. But some of us walk around here with hurts against our brothers and sisters. And if the church can't love the church, how can the church love the world? Some of us won't even say hi to each other. Shame on you. And you might say, well, this is how I've always been. That's the problem. When Christ comes in, he doesn't change some things. He changes everything. Let go of those bad habits of just walking by people without love. This must be a church that is rooted and grounded in love. And the Bible says charity, meaning love, starts at home and works its way abroad. What am I saying? That the reason maybe that God won't fill this house yet is because some of the hatred you have towards other people. And God don't want to bring people to a dysfunctional house. You think you got a right to be upset at people? Listen, if anybody has the right, it's me. But I hate no man that no one could stand before the Father and say, he treated me away. But that I would love unconditionally is my heart's desire. Some of us may seem to think that love is, a, is, is, is like an option. But Jesus said, if you would just love one another... If you, would, if, you would, if you would agape, sacrificially love one another in the church, they will know you are my disciples. Some of us get so caught up in trying to know about God and, and learn God himself that we don't even know how to, know how to love our brothers. I don't care if you can tell me all about the Bible. If you can't love your brother, it is useless. 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I have not love, I am a sounding gong, a clanging cymbal. It hurts me to see the church without love. And I don't mean the church as in citywide, the body of Christ. Church to church, arguing, fighting, hatred in the body of Christ. Could you imagine if my kidney said, lung, I hate you? Stupid lung. Matter of fact, get out of here and take that spleen with you too. Love will change your life. You have to love the whosoever believes. Some of you would rather love lost people because they don't know about you. But the moment you begin to love people who know you, See, this is, this, is why, this is why God is so great. It's because Christians begin to know each other over time, and they know each other's shortcomings. And so if you can continuously love each other through your shortcomings, you are seeing and acting like Christ. But the moment you begin to, well, you know, I'm upset with this person because they did this and this and that, and they should know they need to apologize to me. Apologize to God for not just forgiving them. First John 4.20, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother. And some of you are saying, pause, pause, pause. I don't hate anyone. God is in my heart. I'm just upset. The antithesis of love is hate. There is no in-between. It's either you love or you hate. It's either you serve God or you serve the devil. Oh, but I just, no, no, listen, listen to the scripture. If any man claims to love a God and hates a brother or a sister is a liar. 
For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. How can the world ever come to a loving father with hateful children? This can't be. For the evidence of Christ in me is the love of God flowing from me. For Jesus said, if you, my disciples, anybody here a disciple of Jesus? If you then would love one another, the world will know you are mine. And never before has there been such a need for the body of Christ across America to rise up in great love that the world would see what Jesus is like. We've been made new by Christ. He's poured out love into us, according to Romans 5, 5. And so we should then pour out love to one another. And if you harbor ill will, if you harbor negative opinion, if you harbor any type of reservation about anyone in your family of Christ, then you should today repent and say, Lord, forgive me, for I have walked outside your will. Lord, forgive me, for I've been judgmental. Lord, forgive me, I've been unforgiving. Lord, forgive me, I've been unmerciful. Lord, forgive me, I've been unloving. Lord, forgive me, I've not shown your grace. One of the most interesting stories of all the Bible is the story of the prophet Jonah. Jonah is is clearly a crazy man. We open up Jonah chapter 1, and it says, and, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah to go prophesy unto Nineveh that their sins had reached the Lord, and he was going to destroy them. And Jonah's like, not going to do it. I'm going to go to Tarsus instead. Pays money to hop on a boat to go all the way across the ocean somewhere else, running from God's will. Tells me one thing. Number one, Jonah knows how to hear God's voice. Some of you know how to hear God's voice, but you're going the opposite direction. Second thing it tells me is that Jonah was a man of means. He able to get some money really fast, and he got out of Dodge. Not going to do God's will. And then a big storm breaks out. Jonah chapter 1, verse 10. Big storm breaks out. People are like, you know what's going on? Jonah's like, okay, it's my fault. Throw me in the ocean. Long story short, fish comes, swallows him up. And he's in the belly of a fish. Jonah chapter 2, he writes a prayer to God. He says, God, I know you heard my cry. God, I know you did this. God, I know, I know, God, I know, God, I know, God, I know, I know, God. And he cries out to God for help. And God shows Jonah grace by, it's not, you know, maybe you not, might not want this grace. He has the fish throw up Jonah. And where's Jonah at when the fish throws him up? How funny is God? Right where he needs to be to go prophesy. And then Jonah goes and prophesies. And Jonah's, he's mean. Jonah's not funny. Because when, in the Bible, when they gave a great speech, the Bible records it. Acts chapter 2, Peter preaches, the Bible records it. Moses addresses the people, the Bible records the whole speech. What does Jonah say? Repent, repent, repent. God's going to destroy you, repent. Like Jonah was half-heartedly doing this. It's, it's ironic because they still repented. Word got to the king. Even the animals are fasting, the Bible says. And then Jonah goes and Jonah sits outside the city walls and he's waiting for God to destroy them and then God doesn't. And Jonah's upset. And here's the moral of the whole story. Is that the grace he was given, he was unable to give. And he wanted God to destroy these people because he hated them. But yet God had just saved him even though he was unworthy. And oftentimes we don't show the grace God has given us to others. 
And we think that, oh, I don't care, God, you upset me, you should destroy it. Jonah went into a depression. He's got serious issues. But here's the problem with that. John 3, 17 answers the problem with this. And it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. God is not condemning anyone, so neither should we. God is not looking down on anyone except from perspective of heaven. He's not looking down on us. He loves us just like the lost person that might be sitting five seats over from you. God loves everyone the same and equally. He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Why did God send his son? He sent his son to save. He sent him to save. As I was last night in my daughter's room and I was just praying, crying out to the Lord, I just felt in my heart that there's some people who need to really repent from hating your brother, from hating your sisters in the Lord. And you may say, well, it's not really hate. You know, it's just I got this problem. Listen, throw that away. Cast that away and let nothing be a hindrance to fellowship. Repent. If that person might be in this church, you see them around, after church, repent. Walk up to them and say, I'm sorry, for I was in error. And some of you here, you might be that lost person, not realizing that God gave everything so that you might have everything. Let us be a church of love, a church that changes lives because of how we love them, a church that changes people's hearts through the power of Jesus Christ because God first loved us. We're able to love others. (coughs) I don't know about you, but the greatest thing that I've ever experienced is God's love knowing that he could have, should have destroyed me, let me fall into damnation for all of my sins and even the sins that I have yet to commit that I know I will fall again. But God in his mercy, he picked me up, he redeemed me, he cleaned me, transformed me, put his son inside of me, poured out his love into me, And from that overflow of God's immense love, I am able to love others. And maybe you're not able to love because you've not experienced the Father's true love. Maybe you're still in the perspective of the love of man. Can we be honest? The love of man fails. The love of man is conditional. Even in the marriage, the love can be very conditional. But God's love is immeasurable and unconditional and without restrictions. He just loves. This past Friday when I was at that restaurant, because I loved my daughter, even though she had annoyed me to the max, I had to pick out every strand of lo mein before mommy got back. I had to get every piece out because I love her. Don't miss the opportunity to live in God's love. Would you stand to your feet this early afternoon as we're getting ready to leave soon? And-